How are we doing, folks? My guest today is going to be Tim Ermish. Tim is the president and GM of KSTU Fox 13 in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's been in that role for over 20 years. And in this episode, we go through and discuss what has driven Tim so far to succeed. We touch on his passions. We talk about the habits and different things he does daily. We touch on the dynamics he's had to deal with with COVID and the ever-changing world of broadcasting. I hope you folks enjoy this episode. And also, In the Arena is donating $250 on Tim's behalf to the Friends of the Children's Justice Center, which help children of crime. Thanks a lot, folks. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Enjoy. And Mr. Ermish, we are rolling. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Bobby, for having me on. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the uh, the talk today. It should be pretty good. You know, it's, uh, so it's it's in the arena with Bobby. Can't we make it in the stadium? In the stadium, but that's not the te- that's not the Teddy Roosevelt in the arena. You know. All right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was just thinking of the Yankee Stadium. So, but okay. <laughs> I know that's always, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the Yankees. You know, they're coming up here soon. They it got came the, up in the first couple of words. First couple of minutes before we start. Of course, I have no doubt we'll spend uh, plenty of time talking about uh, New York in general and plenty of baseball. But um, kind of one of the things I, I wanted to start off with, or I was just kind of curious about in the news world. I mean, it's kind of how this show started through Zoom. I mean, originally I was planning on doing things in person and then with COVID and the shutdown, like, We'll figure out how Zoom works, and that's kind of how it's gone. So I'm just curious, over the last, like, how much of a huge transition has it been for you to go through and kind of deal with things on the fly and still be able to have the news and all that stuff? Sure. Well, uh, you know, for your audience, um, for the last 20 years, I've been the general manager of uh, KSTU, Fox 13, here in Salt Lake City. So, um you know, typically, Bobby, uh, pre-pandemic, we would have 150 employees and obviously different shifts because we're on 24-7, but everybody would be back in the building. We have about 15% of that in the building now. So it has been a challenge. Wow. Um, but fortunately, we might be one of those industries that we actually can work remotely and from the field quite well. When you think about, you know, watching the news, we do 11 hours of local news and lifestyle uh, programming, uh, the most in the, in the market. Um, the photographers, the reporters, our anchors when they're out in the field, the editors, they're all out. They don't have to come back. Technology's allowed us to, you know, shoot from the field, edit from the field, send it back from the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we keep a very strict quota on who goes into the building. If you leave the building, unless you're one of that 15%, you don't come back. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's just one of those things I've been super curious about on how much interaction you've had to do like this kind of just through Zoom or through the phone and and how how much has it like helped? How much have you kind of learned and, and new things that maybe going into the future as hopefully we start get, to get back to normal and everything else. Like what are kind of some of those takeaways? Like, you know what, we didn't really need to do, or we don't need to do this anymore. We can kind of trim some of that fat and be a little bit more efficient. Sure. Uh, yeah. That Bobby, great question. I'm shocked at how much we have learned in the last year. 
And I'll be the first to say I might have uh, two years ago, well, we can't do that. <laughs> and now as the general manager, I'm looking at things and saying, well, how are we going to, how are we going to make some of these protocols permanent? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we're looking at, uh, we're, we're one of Scripps Media's uh, 42 television stations across the country. And Scripps is a company that's been in uh, news and publishing, newspapers, radio, TV, cable, um, since the 1880s. Uh, so l- a long history of journalism. And we're a journalist company. Um, we pride ourselves in being unbiased and present uh, the local news without any slant. Um, but w- what we've learned in this last year is that some of those old idioms are no longer valued or no longer uh, uh, an absolute. So people can work from the field, people can work remote, we can meet via Zoom like you and I are right now. Mm-hmm. Our editorial meetings, you know, the screen would be full of 30 people um, and it's very efficient that way. We actually keep our meetings that used to be held in conference rooms with a lot of chit chat and this and that. And there's a lot of positives of that interpersonal, um, but that's kind of been eliminated. So we found in this last year, we're a lot more efficient time-wise, which time is very valuable when you produce, you know, 11 hours of news a day. So um, we're looking at two scenarios. One is in the short term, when do we return to the building? And then long-term, the future of returning to the building. So in other words, when the numbers really do allow, and we've been very conservative, we will start bringing some of that other 85% back to the building, but we're formulating a longer term uh, plan where we won't need that 85% back in the building. And we're gonna put out a survey uh, in the next week to all of our employees across the country about return to the building. We don't wanna say return to work because they've all been working. Sure. But re- return to the building. And we want to hear what our employees say. Some people want to come back. I, for myself, prefer going to the television station every day. But I know there's quite a few of our staff that are very efficient, very effective, and would prefer working remotely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to listen to what our staff says and formulate the long-term plan from there. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of curious, just those those differing personalities, because there are definitely some people that I know in, in separate fields that are like, man, I can't wait to get back to work. I just, I'm at home and it's just not the, not the same. And, and I mean, back in the building actually working, you know, because it is hard. There are so many of those distractions out there. And then for other people, they're able to get their work done. They're able to be more efficient. And it's kind of one of those interesting things about how people kind of work with their time and, and how they're able to, to kind of manage that and, and take care of their day and kind of prioritize what, what needs to be done. So um, curious for you, like how do you kind of prioritize your day and you got to create so much content and, and plan all those things. So when you go through and you try to tackle your day, is it, do you have it scripted out? Like, okay, I got a bullet list. I need to tackle this, this, and this. Or is it a little bit different in the way, you know, you just have one thing you need to make sure that's like the main priority. I'm only focusing on that because I've had several different guests on and they all have different approaches about how they like to kind of attack their day. Some people plan it out a week in advance. 
Some people are very much day to day. So I'm just kind of curious for you. I mean, how, how does that work with the station and, and trying to come up with that programming? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. Um, being in the news business, you know, every day is different because every day there's news, right? And it's different <laughs> and it requires, you know, different type of uh, attacking it from all different angles and how many resources you throw to it. And obviously, you know, yesterday was a one of those days with bad news coming out of Colorado. Um, and then during the pandemic, of course, you know, the, the weaving of what to do to keep our employees safe um, and to communicate to our viewers, you know, what are the Utah state protocols? So it keeps on changing. So there is no set day. Like I go in and I've got a, a list of 12 things I have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, it does change. Um, one of the highest priorities, obviously, in this pandemic uh, is trying to keep the people connected, even though we're no longer in the building. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, some people are very efficient and may prefer to continue to work remote. Even they would say there, there's a loss to not being in the building and having that social interaction. So, you know, my goal is how can we kind of diminish that loss? while we're all away from each other. Mm -hmm. um, and we, you know, we used to have quarterly luncheons where we would give out awards and milestone awards for how many years you've worked at the company and employee of the quarter awards and all sorts of uh, you know, job recognition. Well, we still do that. It's just now we have to do it differently. Right. Um, you know, via Zoom, but we still have a, a solicitation from our employees for recognizing the value of their fellow workers. And we still mail out gift cards. And in this past summer, we would have a ice cream social in the parking lot and laid chairs out, you know, 10 feet <laughs> apart. And, you know, a lot of people that work in remote couldn't wait to come in, even if it was just going to the parking lot, sitting on the folding chair, having an ice cream and talking to people with their mask on, they enjoyed it. So we've, we've had to get a little bit more creative how to get that connection. Mm -hmm. And, and that's kind of been my job. You know, I have such strong managers that have been there for a long time. And my, my anchors, you know, Bob Evans is just a case in point. He's been with us for 26 years. That's unheard of in broadcasting as a main anchor. So I have a really good staff that's very mature that doesn't need my prodding every single day. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's actually been an interesting year, a little bit more challenging, but at the end of the day, you know, the results are the same. We haven't skipped a beat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, it's, it's interesting to hear kind of you going through that process and, and kind of going through that different dynamic, because it is one of those things that, that gets lost. And I'm, I'm definitely concerned for the next generation coming up of kids that like I'm coaching or just, you see the interactions and things like that. And there's just such a disconnect of like interacting with people. And I mean, this pandemic is clearly going to only make it worse. And it's one of those things when people come back and that'll be an interesting reaction in and of itself. Once the mask mandates start to go away, as they already have in some states, like how people are going to respond and react to that. And it's just such a, a, an interesting dynamic there. And I, I feel like it makes it so tough because that, those younger people coming up are so looking at that phone and now they have Zoom. So they don't even know a lot of them don't even know how to have like a real conversation with like adults or other people, you know, kids hardly their age. They just share TikToks back and forth or whatever else it may be on social media. And 
Like there's so many just lost things there. I mean, it's crazy, you know? I mean, obviously you know the family and everything else. Like we talk, interact, like you would have to talk to adults and make adult conversations and come up with, you know, things to talk about when you're like a 10 year old or someone younger, like, okay, how, and, and vice versa for you. So I'm just curious. I mean, how much uh, have you seen that kind of change happen over the last year? You know, I think that change happened with the younger uh, generation and I'm not, and I'm not picking on them, but you know, you go to a restaurant and you'll see a family and you'll see the eight-year-old on his phone or Game Boy or whatever at the time was the hot button. And they're not conversing at all with the family at the restaurant. Sure. And, um, you know, the goal here, if you just read any, uh, you know, development books is, you know, you put those phones away, you don't put it on the table, you put it to the side and you converse. Um, in the, in the pandemic, it, it reminds me, um, and it is a challenge that you said there, that there could be people that I've hired in the last year and a half that have never had that social interaction with their workers face-to-face -face or workspace to workspace. You know, it's all been this. Um, and it reminds me of a, of a story. Um, when I first got here, was one of the local newspapers invited me up to their physical plant and they were so proud to show me their new offices and the printing press. And this was 20 years ago. Um, and they just couldn't wait, state of the art, um, fantastic. After about a two hour tour, we got back to the conference room and the leadership team of the newspaper, I, I asked them, I said, well, this is terrific. Thanks for inviting us. I'm really impressed by what you have here. It's, it's laid up great. Um, and I asked them a question, from the old building, is there is there anything that you miss from the old building? And almost to a person, they said, well, we kind of lost that community of being closer to each other where you could just get up and look over the workstation or knock on somebody's office and, and have that conversation not got things done mm -hmm. as opposed to making appointments and email and they're sure. on another wing and I'm never gonna walk over there there are pluses and minuses. And I think if we just realize what the, the negatives are, how we can diminish that and replace it with what was, you know, the old interaction. Um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. That's, you're right. Um, uh, I have a son who's finishing up his master's uh, at the University of Utah. And um, I'm kind of curious, you know, how, he, how he's going to address the business world. What is it going to be like for him? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's going to be different from when I started, that's for sure. So, I mean, speaking to that a little bit, I mean, one of those things I've kind of always uh, been curious about for you, I mean, was it always, have you always been into the news and, and TV and brought, I mean, was that always kind of a path that you wanted to go down or was it something that, well, I mean, what kind of drew you into that once you, you graduated from, from Georgetown and once you, you know, were done there, was that one of those things or were you kind of just like, oh, I kind of enjoy TV or, or what, what kind of brought you down that path? Well, I didn't start off in news, um, though I've always had an interest in news as a young person. I, mm -hmm. I remember, you know, events very well. And I associate times with the news of the day, you know, whether it was, you know, the assassinations in the late sixties or the riots or, you know, Lyndon Baines Johnson saying he's not going to run for president in the Vietnam War. I just remember all the news and I would watch it all the time. But I, I didn't go into news at first. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when I graduated from Georgetown, it was 
one of those recessions in 1980 and it was all about, boy, I got to get a job to pay off these loans. So what's the best? And I knew that going in. So I went into the business school and went to the guidance counselor and they said, oh, accountants, we always need accountants. And I knew nothing about it. And I said, mm-hmm. well, no, heck, I'm good with numbers. That comes really easy to me. I'm in the business school. So I, I got my degree in finance and accounting and worked for one of the big eight firms back then. Now there's only big four. And I worked in Manhattan for Pricewaterhouse. Okay. Um, did not care for it, but it was mm-hmm. such a great discipline to know the business because you have to learn different types of businesses when you go into them, whether you're doing consulting or auditing or tax preparation, you got to learn their industry real quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked for law firms, uh, shipping companies, not-for-profits, um, and you got to learn their business quick. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and, I, and I did stick around to get my CPA, but I knew after a couple of years, this was not what I wanted to do. Um, it was too buried in the books. Even though I love the numbers, I was much more of a people person and kind of fell into broadcast sales, advertising sales. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. No, they give you a credit card and you take clients out to lunch. You know, when you're 22 years old, what more do you need? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, you get paid too. <laughs> and so that's how I got into uh, uh, broadcast and journalism. I, I didn't get a journalist degree, but certainly loved news, but more on the business side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I worked my way up, you know, I started off as a sales associate and worked mm-hmm. my way up to a salesperson and then moved around in management to this current position here at KSTU Fox 13. So going through like that process and, and that kind of building, I mean, what would be a couple takeaways for some of the listeners that are maybe still in college and kind of think that they have it figured out of what they're going to do? And because I hear it all the time of, okay, I went in for this and then completely went into a different field because halfway through, you're like, no, I don't really want this degree. I don't think I'm really interested in this. So, I mean, you know, to make those changes and and pivots and it's kind of nice to realize like, okay, I know that I don't want to do this anymore. I'll get my CPA, but I need to go check that box and go someplace else. So what would kind of be some words of wisdom or a piece of advice for, for some of those out there? Sure. Uh, Definitely don't wait too long to pivot. You know, I did pivot after four years. Now that might've been the maximum because if you're entrenched in a career and you do not like it, and then all of a sudden you're getting married and you're starting a family and maybe you buy a house and get a mortgage. It's so difficult to make that career change Mm -hmm. um, because often you have to take a step backwards when you enter a new industry, right? Pay-wise. And you might have the bills and stuff. So fortunately for me, I was just a young single guy and 25 years old, no bills to speak of, renting a cheap apartment in Flushing, Queens. And I could make that change and and take a pay cut very easily. Um, I just, my advice would be definitely college a degree is very important. Mm -hmm. And, And it doesn't have to be just college. It could be a trade school, which I think our country needs a lot more of. But I know when we're interviewing for positions, uh, you know, one of the requirements is college degree. And if mm-hmm. you don't have it, you, you sometimes are limited as far as moving up. As unfairly as that may sound like, mm-hmm. you know, I think everybody should get that college degree or trade school equivalent. And then, of course, you know, that point in your life, you remember going, it's like the best four years of your life. You always look back on it 
even though while you're in it, you can't wait to get out. <laughs> um, but, you know, change, change. If you, if it's something that you find you don't like, you're still going to get some experience out of it, but definitely pivot, find what you want. I was one and went from, you know, the, the business world of uh, public accounting to broadcasting. Uh, I, I mentioned my son, Brendan, you know, he worked after he graduated from University of Portland, he worked for Nike for five years, did not like the business world. They loved him. What did he do? He went back and got another undergraduate degree so he could get into a science program and mm -hmm. master's of archaeology here at the University of Utah. Totally different. I mean, yeah. Nike to archaeology, and he's the happiest he's ever been doing this and not making any money yet. Right. Yeah. So yeah, definitely pivot. You, you could pivot two or three times, but don't wait too long. Mm -hmm. Don't wait too long out there. So I'm, I'm kind of curious through this journey that you've had along the way, who, who are some of the, the people that have really kind of left an impression on you or really kind of helped guide you through and really kind of mentored and, and brought out the best in you? I, there's just no one person, Bobby. Sure. Every yeah. time I work for somebody, I'm the type that always looks up to the people I work for mm -hmm. and always feel like I can learn something from them. You know, maybe 80% of their game is excellent and 20% I'm not too thrilled about. Mm -hmm. um, but I pick, pick on and want to learn from the points that they really are strong and have strength, whether it's their intelligence, their creativity, their persistence, their management style, how do they motivate people? So I kind of pick little things and go, wow, that person is an amazing motivator. Mm -hmm. Or that person just has the unbelievable perseverance and never gives up um, and, and try and learn from each one. And that, you know, cause we're like a clean palette. And after 10 years in the business, all of a sudden you've picked up all those little things from people you've worked for mm -hmm. and you formulate who you are. Um, right. so, you know, it, I can say that I probably lear learned some, uh, my first and maybe my most important learning lesson in life was working for my dad. Uh, I come from three generations of butchers in Queens and, uh, just that being on your feet all day and taking care of the customer on the other side of the counter and just servicing them. And even if it's somebody who's coming in, coming in and, and ordering, you know, three pounds of bologna and two chicken wings, yeah, you know, you still yeah. want to service them. And I saw how hard my dad worked all those years. So there's no shortcuts uh, and there's no substitute for hard work. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, definitely true. And it's interesting. A lot of the guests, you know, parents are always super influential and, and one of those, um, great takeaways that, that you brought up that I think is super interesting is the fact of kind of taking a little bit from each different person now. Is that uh, like, are, have you kind of always been that observant or is that because a lot of people will go through and they will not pay attention and they'll kind of just be looking through, going through the motions, like, all right, this is the boss. This is, you know, I'm doing what he tells me to do. And so I'm just kind of curious, have you always kind of had that ability to kind of observe and see how people interact and and be able to, to pick and choose. Cause that is a gift. I mean, a lot of people are not able to be that observant and like, Hey, I really like the way that this guy, you know, um, does file files this report or the way he prevents himself or however else it may be. In fact, he's always five minutes early, wh whatever that is. But I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. Have you always had that? 
Yeah, I, I would say yes. And, and maybe it's because I was always one of these that thought, gee, the, the other person's a lot smarter than me. You know, that person mm -hmm. that I'm dealing with, I remember sitting for my CPA exam and spend half the exam just looking around me and everybody's turning the pages and getting all the answers done. And I'm going, geez, I'm on page two. These people are so much <laughs> smarter than me. They're going to finish on time and I'm never going to finish. So I think my, you know, the quality is that I, I've never been a person that thinks they have all the answers almost mm -hmm. to a fault. I kind of feel like, Jesus, I don't have any of the qualities and, and the answers that these people have when in reality, I might have quite a few, but mm -hmm being open to learning from others and listening, right? You know, mm -hmm. observing and knowing human nature and observing. And I think I can learn something from everybody. I mean, I can learn something from the landscaper that comes in and, you know, works on the hedges here and, and listen to him. Like, mm -hmm. right, he, that's his expertise and I don't know it. Right. So um, I, I can pick something up from everybody, but that brings up, you know, uh, one of the qualities you were asking about is, and I do think listening is such an important quality and listening to people before spouting out what you want to, you know, people to hear from you. Um, sure. I'd rather listen than to be talking. So mm -hmm. lucky you have me today because I don't like talking about this. <laughs> well, it definitely comes through very, very humble. But one of the things I think that some of that uh, observantness, uh, might come from is working in that butcher shop because that's one of those things. I think if you're in the service industry or you're doing things with customer service, I mean, you're always kind of paying attention to the guests and their interactions and, and, and stuff like that, kind of observing like, okay, are they happy with the experience that they're having? Did they get the right cut of meat that they wanted or whatever else that may be? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think maybe those years in, in the butcher shop could have helped with, uh, Absolutely. Right. But you, you know, it's difficult to, you know, formulate those relationships, mm -hmm. but it's very easy if you service them to keep that relationship and you've got a friend or a client or a customer or a mm -hmm. viewer for life um, because you take care of them and you're honest and you listen and, and, you know, their concerns are number one. It's not what, you know, what I'm trying to achieve. Because mm -hmm. in the end, if I keep on taking care of the customer, keep the customer satisfied, I forget who's saying that, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Um, <laughs> if you keep the customer satisfied, the rest of your job is easy because they're going to continue to be a customer for life. Mm -hmm. So is that, um, I mean, have you kind of continued to carry that listening and everything else? I mean, we kind of touched on a little bit earlier with your time at uh, KTSU here and how, how I mean, Nine, 20 years at the station. I mean, that, that's a lot of longevity and that's a lot of learning. And so I'm curious the growth that you've gone through there and, and some of those uh, main takeaways for you so far for maybe some of the guests out there, if this is an avenue or, or an area they would, they would like to venture into. You know, when I got to the station, there's so many areas of running a television station that, you know, maybe I knew 40%, but 60% I didn't know. So I left... I concentrated on the 60% I didn't know and, and just wanted to sponge that, you know, engineering, news, you know, how we get our signal out to Southern Utah, you know, how does that all work? I was never exposed to that. Sure, I could work in the finance department. I knew the numbers and the P&L and I could work with the sales department, but I didn't want to glom on to something that I already knew. I mean, let, let my managers do that. I went to the areas that I didn't know and and kind of learned those areas. Um, 
so that I kind of had a full understanding of the entire, you know, industry mm-hmm. and a television station business is multifaceted and changes every day. Uh, especially now with technology, we sure. used to, uh, we used to purchase cameras for $40,000. Now you can get a much better camera, one tenth the size for $6,000, mm-hmm. you know, broadcast quality cameras. Sure. And of course, there's a lot of us, you know, we're teaching our reporters to just go out and you can record and report, go live just from your cell phone, right? Really? Oh, yeah. And you you can tell the quality is a little different, but Mm -hmm. viewers are accepting it. It's not like the old uh, first generation of phones or um, trying to think of some of the uh, websites that we used to go to and used to use. They're, they're, They're obsolete now, but the technology is so much better that we just send everything back through the internet and we can go live or have that package edited back at the station or at the field, mm-hmm. roll down the tailgate of the, you know, the photographer's uh, uh, pathfinder and do your editing and send it back and it's ready to go. The director hits a button, the anchor throws to this story and it's a button and boom, there it is. So technology has allowed us to cover a lot more, a lot quicker and a lot cheaper in the field. Hmm. That's, that's crazy that you guys are doing a lot of it just off of iPhones. And I mean, I guess, I mean, it totally makes it something I didn't really think about, but I mean, I guess it makes sense with the quality of the phones and, and everything else and the, the ease of yeah. it now, but it is crazy to think about. Well, you remember maybe in the first generation, you might have, even if it was a syndicated show and Oprah Winfrey 12 years ago, mm-hmm. doing a Skype interview and it looked really bad, yeah. you know, that that's five generations ago. I mean, there's a lot of things that you'll see on the news this evening. You won't know it was shot by a cell phone. Hmm. Not amazing. Yeah, no, it's super amazing that that's that's the point where we've we've come to. But it, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it definitely makes sense. I do. It's funny you mentioned like because Skype was like the first one. Like, oh, I'm gonna do like a a video call. Yeah, we talk to somebody in France or whatever, and it would be like you know an eight second delay or whatever else. But you would you know that's yeah. So it's interesting to see how much the and it's getting better and better. The, the compression is getting better. And, you know, just the, the technology, you know, a television station used to just have one, you know, one distribution of one channel, right? And here's mm-hmm. my, I'm a Fox affiliate. So here's my news or here's my, you know, Judge Judy. And then here's my Fox Prime. And mm-hmm. now we split that, you know, that spectrum into four or five different channels. And okay. so we distribute five different channels right now. You know, you can get us on your TV, go 13, 13, 1, 13, 2, 13, 3, 13, 4. And you want to have sports. Here's one. You want weather. Here's another. You want a shopping channel. Here's another. You want classic sitcoms from the 60s and 70s. Here's another one. Mm-hmm. There's so much we can do, um, you know, with the spectrum being compressed. And it still looks terrific. So yeah. there's a lot of... There's a lot of sources of entertainment and news out there and, you know, it's very competitive. So how, I mean, speaking of that competitiveness, how much has it really changed, especially since, you know, you've been at at the station for 12, like how much has that changed in, in viewership? Because uh, especially with the younger generations and everything else, I mean, their attention span is like that you know, coaching some of the athletes and stuff like that. It's like, Hey, you just finished a, you know, 30 second run. You, can I talk to you for two seconds? They're like, oh, 
looking all around like, yeah, I just need your attention for a couple seconds here and then you can go back and, you know, you, you do want coaching for your run, correct? So I'm just kind of curious. I mean, how, how difficult is that to kind of uh, understand and, and deal with the new viewer? Because, I mean, that's absolutely changed over the last 20 years and how people get their information. Yeah, it's changed so much. It's unbelievable. Just in the last 10 years, um, yeah, the attention span is, is, is less. We know that from the generation. So, you know, we do have to write to the video. We have to broadcast as smaller snippets. Um, and that's why we would always say, you know, if you want even a deeper dive in this story, if you want more, you know, go to fox13now.com and you know, then of course we'll expand upon it because it might have been a three-minute hit mm -hmm. in the uh, nine o'clock news this evening. But you want more of that? You can get more. So we can give it quick, and we can give it more. And it's, and I do think though, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's just that this generation has a shorter attention span. It, and it, it might. They're certainly used to things happening quick and instantaneous gratification. But we also see the pendulum sometimes swinging back that people want a deeper dive. People mm -hmm. want a, uh, we, we call it at Fox 13, a 360 view where we look at it from all different angles. Mm -hmm. And we're not afraid to do an 11 minute segment in the nine o'clock news. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wouldn't run all 11 minutes, in, you know, 7 a.m. when people are getting ready to go out to work and they're watching the news for traffic or weather. Um, but at, in the evening, you know, people do want that because I think the IQ of the story goes up when it really covers all aspects. It goes into much more depth instead of just a headline. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it is a balance. We do have to do a lot of story count, but we have editorial meetings where we do say, um, we're going to cut this hour's newscast down from 12 story count to eight mm -hmm. because you know, story number two and three deserve six minutes, seven minutes, and not the two and a half minutes that we used to do mm -hmm. because people want more. They want the truth. They want unbiased. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, the news media has gotten such a bad name in the last, you know, five years. And it upsets me because, and I understand it because I consume news all different ways. And, you know, I know the 24-hour news networks, you know, I, I know what, how they got their popularity and their business model is to find that niche. Mm -hmm. And, you know, CNN is here and Fox News is here and MSNBC is here and they're playing to their, their base. Mm -hmm. um, and I can see where people don't like that because it's, it comes from a slant. Sure. But I would say 99% of your local broadcasters, no matter where you live in the city, but the local station that serves, they don't have a slant. They don't have an agenda. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not yeah. saying, well, we're going to only talk, you know, from the conservative viewpoint or from the liberal viewpoint. Very few television stations do that. We want to present unbiased journalism. Mm -hmm. Our company's slogan is shine a light and let people find their own way. And uh, that's, what we, that's what we do. And I think over time, people recognize the difference between your local broadcaster and and some of these, you know, and it's not just cable networks, it's, it's all the digital sites, you know, somebody True. likes to read Breitbart, somebody wants to read BBC, you know, it's, mm -hmm. 
all over the place. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely one of those things. And it's refreshing to hear because it is so hard, uh, you know, with a lot of those big issues to try to cut through the clutter and the, and the crap and see what's actually like, okay, what is the actual content of this? Is this an opinion piece or are we just reporting what's kind of going on? I know like myself, I have Wall Street Journal and the New York Times to be like, okay, let me try to get like both sides, you know, I'll click on the same story. So, you know, some would be a little bit monotonous, but like, okay, there's a few different perspectives in here that were not in one side, maybe in on the other to try to, you know, as you put it, get that 360 degree both sides and then kind of, you know, be able to come up with, with your own opinion on the matter or just whether it's just getting the facts or, or whatever that may be. It, definitely. And I'm glad that you said that because, you know, I like to read both sides and, and it's very crucial though. And you can determine like, Ooh, this is spin. This is coming from an agenda. Look how they pose that question. It's mm -hmm. almost an assumption. Like they already know the answer yeah. as opposed to really trying to find out the truth and listening. Mm -hmm. um, one of the websites I like is just an aggregator of both sides is a real clear politics. So in the okay. political season that we just finished, mm -hmm. you know, real clear politics, it, all it is is an aggregator of all the stories and they will constantly present both sides. Hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's a challenge because if, if you're just watching one particular or reading or visiting one site constantly and it comes from a slant, all of a sudden that's all you, all you hear, you, you find that you think that's gospel and it's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's also one of the tough things too. I mean, with, Google and every, all the tracking and stuff like that. Like if you, you know, you're clicking on one article cause you want to read it like, Oh, okay. This person likes these things. Let's give him more articles. So you can start to go further down like a rabbit hole of just it, which just makes it super hard to try to figure out, you know, what, uh, what the actual truth is or what are the actual facts of, you know, kind of what's going on. So that, that, that makes it even more challenging because it gives you the information that you want to hear so I feel like it kind of feeds your own biases more and more and kind of gets you away. Like your phone, your phone's hurting you in that regard, for sure. They, they want to keep you on that website as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be successful. They say, oh, Bobby likes the New York Islanders. I'm going to feed them stories about the Islanders or hockey and this and that. And all of a sudden you're, so they're feeding you what you want to hear. God forbid they fed you something that you have no interest in right. or a political slant that you definitely don't believe. You'd be off of it in a minute, mm -hmm. you know? So, you, yeah. so yeah, that's, so it's, it's a wonderful tool and it's also something we have to be very careful of. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of what's created, you know, it's, it's helped to fuel the, uh, the divide that seems to be just getting wider and wider. I mean, hopefully the gap will close sooner or later, but I think it, it certainly feeds into that where people are just getting more and more into their own biases of either left or right or anything else. And I mean, it's a sensitive times definitely in the, uh, in the country for sure. It's definitely been, um, you know, I'm a, interesting year. a student of history and there's no doubt. And I do feel like what you just said, it seems like we're more polarized than ever. Right. Mm-hmm. However, you know, you read stories of history and you're reading about it without the names and they're talking about how two different sides of the aisle are arguing and this and that. And you're going, oh, my God, yeah, this is this has got to be 2020 or 2021. <laughs> and then at the very end, they said, and, you know, and then Andrew Jackson, you know, got up and said, and it's, you know, the 17 or the 1830s. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So there has been that divide <laughs> yeah. since the beginning of, you know, certainly in the U.S. and since, you know, the revolutionary, you know, was, whether it was the Federalists or the Anti-Federalists or it mm -hmm. was the Whigs and the Democrats and then the Republicans. So um, there's always been that. It, it does kind of feel that it's gotten more uh, snarky and mm -hmm. divided. And right. that's, but I'm an optimist. I'm going to say the pendulum is going to swing back a little and we'll find some common ground. I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm right there with you too. So I hope so. But uh, one of those things that's interesting, you know, speaking to is uh, that history as well. I mean, I definitely love my history and, and it's one of those things, especially, you know, we'll go back and forth. We'll talk about some, some Yankees here and there, and we'll talk about Yankees history. I mean, it's one of those things that you can, you can always lean on. Uh, baseball history is, is kind of um, one of the coolest things that there is, but it's always a, uh, uh, an interesting dynamic nowadays where I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily know their history and, you know, especially like in the early stages of even this pandemic, like, you know, no one really remembered the Spanish flu and all of those like different, you know, flus and things that we've dealt with that have been, um, and created disasters in the past before that's just been our history. That's, you know, a couple hundred years ago or a hundred years ago, you're not, not, not that far into our past. So it's kind of interesting. I feel like we've uh, certainly lost sight, uh, at least my generation. I feel like my generation um, and the younger well, generation is not great with their history. I agree with you in that. I think we've lost, uh, you know, civics and, and history classes. And I, I don't know if it's, they're just not teaching it like they used to when I was a youth, but um, it's so important, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you just brought up the Spanish inf influenza, you know, 1918 and 1919. And boy, if you just took a timeline of that pandemic and overlapped this one, it mirrors almost, to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, you know, 18 months and there was waves and then it got better and then a wave and it got better and then a wave. And it's repeating itself. Um, so I think knowing history, certainly, you know, the saying, you know, you got to know it so you can, so you don't repeat bad history. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sad when people don't know the history of our country and they don't know the parties and the elevation and the, and the presidents and, you know, the Republican Party, no matter what side you're on, Republican Party used to be the party of anti-slavery and the Democrat Party was based in that slavery and antebellum period and you know somebody now might go well that couldn't possibly be true because i think right now the republicans are this way and sure you know i think we need to you know read up on history i, I love it um you know i'm reading right now <laughs> oh perfect yeah the american civil war yeah. and the reason that got me interested it was on lying on my shelf but i watched that very fine lincoln series on cnn recently mm -hmm. And it was interesting. They showed both sides of Lincoln. They did a deeper dive, mm -hmm. but, you know, just piqued my interest. And said, I got to pick up my book on the Civil War again. And uh, so I do, I do love the history and I know you do too. Yeah. I mean, the one uh, I, audio book that I've been listening to is uh, Early Mornings on Horseback about uh, David McCullough and it's about uh, Teddy Roosevelt. So that's been a super interesting, I mean, he, he's amazing and does a total deep dive and so I've, I'm probably like seven hours into that as an audio, but it's like a 20 hour audio book. So that's definitely a, a good, yeah. I mean, it's super interesting though. And it, it's definitely one of those things. I feel like it just takes, 
either a good teacher or something that the person might be interested in to kind of get them going down the path of history. Um, Cause it's mm-hmm. one of those things like b- baseball used to be a great, I mean, I remember going to Cooperstown, just, you know, going to baseball hall of fame and just like you're soaked into it and you're like, Oh my God, this is awesome. This is like so cool to see, you know, Sandy Koufax or Johnny Bench or Babe Ruth or whoever, whoever it may be. And it, it's so rich and it's so interesting. Like once you're there, um, and the appreciation and kind of just, you know, living through that, you know, especially with those hall of fames and museums, um, you kind of get to see a, a totally different world. And I feel like it kind of opens your perspective up a little bit on things. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny you said that ba- baseball, um, I think it mirrors a lot American history, the history of baseball and the progress, you know, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, it is our national pastime and Mm-hmm. Talk about the progress that was made in baseball, not just, you know, the quality of play, but, you know, when they had the Negro Leagues and when they finally admitted Jackie Robinson in the, you know, 47. And, you know, and then all of a sudden a domination uh, by the Hispanic and Central American players that come in. It, it kind of mirrors what's going on with the population in the United States. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I love sports, you know, and, and baseball is one of my, you know, I, it's a slower game, no doubt. Mm-hmm. A lot of strategy, right. a lot of numbers, a lot of history. You know, my girlfriend was never a big baseball fan. She was from Detroit and, you know, followed the Tigers a little bit. You know, when we started dating, she knew she had to be a Yankee fan. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so we'll watch the games together. And I've taught her a lot of the nuances. And now she's going, oh, my God, I had no idea. And now she is a huge fan of baseball and can predict you know, what's the next play? This guy is going to lay down a bunt. This mm-hmm. person's going to take off for second. You know, all they need is a sacrifice fly or, you know, they're going to change. They're going to go bring in a righty because there's a, there's a righty up and they're going to, you know, pinch hit and put a lefty in. So it, it's fun watching sports and all the strategy. That's for sure. Yeah, no. And I think a lot of those, I mean, sports is just so great because there's so many different takeaways you can bring into your own life and there's so many different lessons and takeaways for when things are going great and when things are, are not going so well you know one of the great things of sports in my own life and one of the things I'm curious about f- for you is perseverance because I mean that's really one of those things that um, I think is is uh, overlooked and you know kind of being able to persevere when things are, are not going well or maybe things are not clicking or, you know, baseball wise, you're in a hitting slump or, or something like that. And, and to continue to kind of swing away because there are a lot of people that I know that, you know, once they kind of fail and that first, you know, failure or setback happens, like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm done trying or that, or that feel of fear of failure, you know, just like, I don't want to make the attempt because I could look like an idiot or it might not go right. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious for, for you and, and the, some of the perseverance you've kind of had to go through. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. It is no doubt. I mean, uh, you know, I, I definitely believe in the old axiom. If, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never going to happen the first time. And failure is just one of the, it's just one of the stones that you have to step on to success. There's no doubt. And um don't be afraid of failing. You know, that's the awful thing. And if you do fail, make sure you get back up and try again, you know, getting back to baseball, you know, Mickey Mantle was his first year and he came up. He was so bad that first half of the season that they sent him back to the minors. He actually flew back or 
drove back to Oklahoma and said, Dad, this isn't going to work for me. I just, I'm batting 067. I'm awful. I don't know who I think I am. And his dad read him the riot act and basically saying, you're better than that. You've got this God gift tool. You're going to get back to, you know, the single A team and, uh, you know, go on the buses to the different ballparks and you're going to work your way back to the big leagues. And of course, you know, we know the success there. So yeah, I've never been afraid of failure. Matter of fact, I expect it. <laughs> I expect I'm going to fail, you know, but you know, I'll come back, you know, we talked about taking the CPA exam. I think I failed it more times than I passed it. <laughs> you know? I think you had to pass two parts to get credits. I failed two and then passed two, then failed the third, then passed the third, then failed the fourth. And, you know, eventually I was going to get there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Some people would do it right away and they got that great gift that God gave them. I didn't have it, mm-hmm. but perseverance is a gift. And, and you know, that it's even sweeter mm-hmm. if you work hard for it. Right. Now, do you think perseverance is something that can be learned or do you think that perseverance is one of those things that you kind of kind of have to have? I mean, obviously it'd be learned at a young age, but I mean, do you think once you're past the age of like 10 or something that, you know, you can, you can learn, you can learn that skill of like, Hey, I'm going to continue to keep trying and and keep getting better. Is that one of those things that, you know, at, at, at a young age? I think you can learn it. You know, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, the story of Mickey Mantle is probably, you know, was a, was a gifted athlete every stage of his life and always succeeded in making the big leagues at 20 years old. Right. So he probably didn't have perseverance. He was just given this God given talent. And then when he finally did come up to failure, Mm -hmm. he had to learn perseverance and work his way back up. So I think we can all learn perseverance. I don't think it's something you're given Mm -hmm. or you're born with. You certainly can observe others and figure that out. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's something that we all have a capability of, of persevering. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Because I'm just curious, because one of those things that I think is always interesting to see kind of speaking to a little bit of the, the perseverance is attitude. And it's always one of the things that um, learned from, you know, my dad and I'm, I'm sure you guys have had conversations on it, but I mean, just your attitude towards life and how you uh, react to things and, you know, uh, always just attitude is everything. So, you know, it's, it's one of those really important things. And, and that is one of those things I'm, I, I do think to an extent you kind of either have a good attitude or you don't. And that takes an extreme amount of hard work. I don't know if that switch can be turned like that. You know, that seems like it's one of those things that's uh, happens at an early age and you either kind of have that attitude or, or you don't. Well, if you don't have that perseverance attitude, you probably not going to go far. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's right. something that even the most successful people get knocked down and sure. sometimes reinvent themselves. And mm-hmm. whether it's a movie actor who was on the top and then all of a sudden you see him in these B roles or major leaguer who's now, you know, you know, playing in a ball in the Mexican league and, sure. you know, the accommodations aren't anything near it. It happens all the time, but you know, I kind of admired those people that can continue to persevere and just do the best they can. They mm-hmm. may, may never reach the status that they once were, mm-hmm. uh, but they're going to do the best they can and, you know, live a good life, you know, 
Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of those things where I, I mean, I'm assuming that Mickey Mantle had always had a good attitude and, you know, might get a little bit down on themselves. I mean, everybody has a, a period where they're a little bit upset and feel a little bit sorry for themselves. I mean, there are several examples of that, but I'm pretty sure Mickey Mantle had like a attitude, especially after you get a talking to from your dad, like, yeah, he's probably right. I need to get back and start swinging the bat again. And, and oh, oh. well, thankfully for him, he had a dad that did, <laughs> Sure. You know, didn't yeah. push him and said, mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. You know, the, don't be crying here back here in Oklahoma. You know, you've got gifts. You're going to get back there and do what the uh, the team wants you to do. And if it means going down to, you know, Scranton to mm -hmm. play double A ball, you're going to do it. Um, right. So sometimes we all need that little push and that little guidance. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Now for for you. I mean, in trying to program 11, doing 11 hours of programming a day, what are some of the habits that you have kind of learned over the years to be able to, to tackle that? Because when you say that, I mean, that's like a, it's an insane number to me. Like, okay, now I got to try and fill slot. And it's, you know, every single day you got to be coming out with, with different content and stuff like that. So what are some of those habits that you've kind of learned over the years or that kind of help you tackle um, what I think is a daunting task? <laughs> Well, you, you know, it is a lot of uh, local programming that we do. We, I always say that, you know, people can find their entertainment from so many sources now, right? Mm -hmm. it used to be television. And then it was, you know, oh, cable television. And then there was, you know, the web and all this. And you can get your entertainment so many ways. But there might only be a handful if you're interested in local news where you live. And as you mature and you start to have a family and a mortgage, you start to watch local news, you're more interested in what's happening in your community. So, you know, my feeling is was do the best news and have the most news on so that you can do deeper dives that you're on when, you know, when people come home and they want to relax and mm -hmm. turn on the television, get the news. So, you know, we don't force them to a certain time period because we're on almost, you know, most of your, your waking hours um, were on. And the different day parts, uh, we know that there are different flavors of news and different topics and how deep you go into it. You know, clearly in the morning, you know, it's a little bit more quick headlines. In the early hours, you know, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., and it's traffic and weather and some of the headlines. And then about 7 and 8, when maybe some of your viewership is more stay at home. Mm -hmm. It might be the mom or a dad or a retiree or then you can slow it down. You have a little bit more um, softer news, a little bit more guests, a little bit more longer format mm -hmm. as opposed to 6 a.m. You're rushing to get out. And yeah. then of course, in the evening news, you know, you want to know what happened. The five o'clock and six o'clock news, man, those are the busiest because news is still happening around the country and it's coming in really fast. Right. Um, by the time you're in the late evening news, nine o'clock for us, 10 o'clock for the other stations, it's mostly a recap. There's not a heck of a lot of breaking news going on at that time. So mm -hmm. it's more of a recap. So, you know, we do our research with Nielsen and all sorts of uh, maggot studies about what the viewers want at different day parts. And we kind of formulate it to, you know, give the people what they want according to that day part. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of research that goes into uh, you know, what news to present, how much of it to present, how you stack your newscast, you know, what's, what's the lead, how, when do you go to the deeper dive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you'll notice that sports nowadays 
on your local station is usually towards the end of the news. Mm -hmm. And you and I are big sports fans, but quite frankly, um, they're not necessarily going to your local news station for sports. Yeah. Your team is the Islanders. Well, that's not local. My team is the Yankees or somebody's the Red Sox or, or somebody's, you know, the uh, 49ers. Mm -hmm. um, you're probably getting that online or getting that from your app on your phone. So, yeah. you know, that the, the sports segment of our local news is not quite as high up as it once was. People still want to know about the jazz and how this incredible run, mm -hmm. but they might've already got that news. Um, so, you know, that might stack a little bit lower in the newscast. Sure. Um, you know, uh, we do a lot of Nielsen surveys about what's the most important thing. And it's no matter where you live, it's crazy. People still want weather. It's still the most important thing, even though they can look at their phone and go, oh, today the high is going to be 62. Mm -hmm. They still want to have that connection with the meteorologist talking about the, of the weather and what is it going to be like tomorrow and the rest of the week as you plan your week out. And it's the personality that comes through. So that's still one of the things in local, local news people want because we're probably not as interested what's the weather going to be like in Dallas tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. you know, we want to know what's going to be here in Salt Lake or in West Valley or in Ogden or Provo or Park City. You know, so you're watching your local news and it's delivered with some sort of a flair and, and a lot of, you know, you don't have to search it. Yeah. You know, it's coming for you. Interesting. Now, one of those things I'm, I'm kind of curious about, like how hard is it to go through and pick like which story you want to be the lead or which story you think, you know, need to spend 11 minutes instead of six minutes on? Like I, I mean, what, what kind of goes into some of that process? There's a lot that goes into it. You know, mm -hmm. obviously you never want to bury the lead. So the most important story, usually if it's local, that will trump a national story for a local station mm -hmm. if it's big. You know, yesterday's unfortunate news, I think most stations led with it. You know, in my office, I have all of them up and, you know, I'll see what, you know, Channel 5 KSL is leading with, what KUTV Channel 2, what ABC4 is leading with, and, and what we're leading with. And it's interesting, you know, some days we're all on the same story mm -hmm. and there's some days everyone's got a different lead. And that's kind of, I'm kind of <laughs> curious, like, geez, I wonder why they went with that. We have that number three. Yeah. But, you know, viva la difference and... uh so there's a lot that goes goes into it. You know, do we have new developments that maybe somebody else doesn't have? We might lead with it. Sure. If we don't have anything more than anyone else and it's been regurgitated for four hours, it might not be the lead. Um, the deeper dive might be a little bit later in the newscast. Um, you know, when people are, you know, some people want to watch 15 minutes and go to bed at nine o'clock. You know, that's the sure. good thing about the nine o'clock news. We always say, at nine, it's news. At 10, it's not, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, so we have the advantage of being on before the other guys. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I'd like, and then I also like to go to, I like to go to bed after the news with a smile on my face. So that's why I've always programmed some terrific sitcoms, you know, <laughs> after the nine o'clock news, you know, for about 15 years, I had uh, Seinfeld on right after the news. And who doesn't love Seinfeld, right? Ah. Classic. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, I recently, a few years back, I, I pushed it back a half an hour, but I gave our viewers a double dose. So I run them back to back, but I put Modern Family at 10 o'clock, you know, just a fresher show. Yeah. Um, 
but who knows? Someday I might put Seinfeld back there. Might go back with some, yeah. It's hard to go uh, hard to go wrong with that. That's for sure. Oh gosh, <laughs> I mean, we know every show, everyone, and it's still entertaining. Yeah, no, it's true. You, and it is like one of the most rewatchable shows. I mean, you could just watch ep- all over again, no matter how many times you've seen them. They're still uh, they're still good, even after all these years. It's definitely. Uh, yep. <laughs> I think it applies to everybody, and and there's no doubt if I watch that, I'm going to bed with a smile on my face. <laughs> no, for sure. Well, uh, one thing I wanted to touch on before we uh, we sign off that I, I had brought, I actually had to dig through. So for the listeners out there that that haven't known, but uh, Tim is a pretty big uh, sports card collection, supposedly. We had talked about it before, and I have yet to see it. I look forward to seeing it. I always used to uh, have a bunch. I haven't collected like in a while, but I still have like boxes and boxes. So I had pulled out a couple for you here that I think you would appreciate and just see through. So let's see if you can see that up on the screen there. Oh, Mantle, Mantle and Boyer. Yeah, that's yeah. Ken Boyer from the Cardinals. And uh, Rival All-Stars, great card. That's a Topps card. Yep. And um, that looks to be like, I can't quite tell. It could be 64, I'm not sure. 63, 64. Does it, it does, say on the back? It does not say on the back. But yeah, it's, 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 I have a couple. The regular cards will have the stats, and if it was, you know, mm-hmm. Ken Boyer's card, and they'll have every year's stat, and if the last year is 63, then you know it's the 64 card. Yeah, so Bobby, I love baseball cards. To me, it's history. I love the statistics on the back. I just love, you know, and Topps is, is the best. Um, and I collected as a kid when I would, uh, you know, get my newspaper out and Fridays was collection day and Saturday I'm taking my quarters and buying cards up at the candy store, mm-hmm. get the pack with the bubble gum. And of course they don't think, they don't think they do that anymore, but um, I've always collected them yeah. and uh, you know, still have. And then, you know, later on in life, you go on eBay and say, boy, I can't wait to get the, the 56 mantle or, <laughs> you know, the 67 Tom Seaver rookie card or the Brooks Robinson card. Um, and I've kept them all. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the few that when people said, oh, I used to have my baseball cards. And my mom threw them out. Sure. Yeah. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that. Well, <laughs> I was a wise kid because I never let my mom throw them out. I, I've got them all from <laughs> early 60s, you know, and quite a collection. And some of the prize ones are in, you know, inch thick acrylic screw down. So you can't mess up the edges, you know, because right. that's what yeah. it's all about is. It's funny, there was just one card, I think it was the Mantle rookie card, just went for $5 million. Yeah, it's crazy how much they're they're, uh, they're they're going for now. Yeah, no, That would have been the 52 Mantle, I think, Tops, even though he was a 51, he didn't sign with Tops that very first year. There was a couple of companies back then, Freer right. and Dunruss. But, um, but it's, you know, everyone goes, oh, I got a 52 Mantle, and... But if it's in lousy condition, you know, right. it's pennies on the dollar, right? Yeah, the exactly. The one that's $5 million, everyone says, I got one. I got $5 million. You look at it and it goes, well, if it was PSA graded one, you might get 500 That's not even going to be graded. Right, exactly. Because you know, the edges are rough. The borders are uneven. There's handwriting. Mm-hmm. It's scraped. And it's still valuable to me. I don't need PSAs. I don't do it for the investment purposes. I love sure. the history of it. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely super interesting that all the stuff that, that goes into that. So, I mean, you collected them for fun. Did you keep them all in, like, pretty good pretty good shit? Yeah, they're all in good shape. Well, there's some of them that I, you know. Yeah, a little, yeah. It, you know, I 
Willie Mays w- was not my favorite player because I was a Mickey Mantle and, and they were, you know, two of the best. <laughs> and I think I drew, you know, patches on him and scars on his face. <laughs> and so I've got a defaced Willie Mays card that is not worth a nickel that if I kept in mint condition. <laughs> exactly. Sentimental value. buy a new car. <laughs> yeah, come on. Or, or we used to put them, I don't know if you did this when you were a kid, we used to put them in our bicycle uh, wheels right. with a clothespin and it would make noise as mm-hmm. you rode around. Yeah, the spinners. Yeah, of course, mm-hmm. that didn't help the uh, That probably didn't, <laughs> the value probably didn't help the, uh, the condition or the value. Yeah, the only, uh, the other one I brought out for you, because I know we had talked about it, but when, uh, so the story on this was uh, Johnny Bench, who was my favorite baseball player growing up he was playing at a golf tournament here in park city. And I had actually gotten this uh, baseball card. I think I got it when I went to the baseball hall of fame in Cooperstown. So one is, uh, what year is it? It's uh, 1975. So his 1975 card. And it was really fun. He was playing a PGA, like a senior PGA event or something here in park city. And we ended up going to the event and he was at the driving range and there were a bunch of other people, you know, there was like, a bunch of other older, older than me. I was probably nine at the time going up to him, um, asking him, you know, to sign like, ba- you know, golf ball and like everything else. And he kind of just like turned him away. I think he, I think he had a rough round, <laughs> but needless to say, I shuffled up with, with my baseball card. And I'm pretty sure that that was what, uh, impressed him yeah. over the top there. Yeah. So he, he pulled out his, uh, his uh, pen there and, and signed my baseball card. So that was. And did you, is that the 75 you said? The or 75. Is it the 70? Yep. So it's 75. Yeah. Definitely not in Minkin. You know, it's a little, little bent around the edges, but it, it was, uh, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool. Well, he was, you know, Johnny. 75, 76, two of his best years, you know, just a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. 75, they won, the Reds won the World Series against the Red Sox in an epic seven game series. And then in 76, the Reds beat the Yankees four straight, and Johnny Bench was named the uh, uh, MVP of the World Series. Uh, I think I have a Johnny Bench rookie card, and I think it's 67. Um, not sure what great shape it is, but, you know, rookie cards are kind of valuable, as you know. Yeah, super valuable, yeah. You know, even even the more recent ones, you know, maybe uh, Ken Griffey Jr. is one that mm-hmm. has gone up in value. Um they started to mass produce the cards and overproduce them in, right. in the early to mid eighties. So it kind of became saturated. So values went down, but they're kind of coming back up right now, especially older 50s, 60s, 70s cards. Yeah. They're in good shape. Um, yeah. I love, I love the, you know, the baseball card you brought out before Mantle and Boyer. So my first memory as a five-year-old was the Cardinals Yankees 64 world series. And I remember the announcer going over to the third base stands interviewing these parents because Ken Boyer and Cleet Boyer were brothers mm-hmm. playing on the opposite sides. Cleet, Cleet was a Yankee third baseman and Ken was a Reds third baseman. And I remember the typical question go, who are you rooting for? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. of their sons. Yeah, I'm rooting for one over the other. I'm just rooting that they both do well and play a great game. Right. How cool is that to have brothers in the same World Series? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Except the wrong the wrong team won that the one. Wrong, Cardinals, the wrong team. Cardinals won in seven. Bob Gibson won won three games in that uh, World Series. But well, uh, you got opening day uh, opening day coming up here. You know what? <laughs> it's coming every, up soon. Every fan is optimistic about their team. Opening day. Opening day. Nobody's in last place yet. You know they haven't lost a game and. Uh, 
it's 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 kind of fun, and I can't wait. You know, I got my uh, MLB package. I'll be watching games and or listening to it on the radio coming home from work. Yeah, it and it feels good after the pandemic. I think just the fact once we start getting fans in the stadium, and I was reading an article the other day about each stadium. Uh, they've already. Uh, made an announcement of what their capacity be will allowed in the, in the beginning stages of the season mm -hmm. and the low or 10%. And then, then I think the high, I think the Texas Rangers are saying 100%. Well, Texas, right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> a little, a little awesome. bit more, That's awesome. a little bit more open, but uh, it'll be interesting. You know, I think most of the stadiums might be one fifth. And then if by June and July, if we start seeing the numbers get even better and better, if we reach herd immunity at 75%, I'm certainly hoping by mid-season it's full capacity. I hope. That would be awesome. Yeah. But, really you know, would. just watching the game, the crack of the bat, and I don't want to be overly sentimental, but I think people really need that now. Yeah, I think, but yeah, really can't wait for sports and all those things and getting back to getting back to more of reality and going to catch catch some Yankees games and, and everything else for sure. Yep, or or go see the the, the Salt Lake see, Bees. Yeah, exactly. See the Bees, Triple A. There's a great stadium right here, and that's right. there's nothing Mike, Mike funnier than going there. <laughs> well, uh, before I let you go, Tim, um, what I was just curious, the uh, charity that uh, in the arena is going to be donating to on your behalf. Oh, Bobby, I'm so glad that you're doing that. That's <laughs> that is very nice and generous, and you know, it's all about giving back, right? Sure. And, yeah. Um, absolutely. So I'm close to the uh, Children's Justice Center. So the Friends of the Salt Lake County Children's Justice Center. Okay. And, and that's the charity that I choose. And uh, the Justice Center, you know, there, every state has many of them. Uh, Salt Lake County, which is underneath Sim Gill, our, our district attorney, they help uh, children of, of crime. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, often it's physical or sexual abuse or... And it's just an amazing organization that unfortunately there's such a great need for. And what they do for these kids is amazing. And you don't wanna bring a child into the police precinct. They didn't do anything wrong. They might think they did, but you know, we need to get these children out of a harmful situation um, and get them professional help yeah. and, and get them back on track that they were not at fault, that they can, um, live a successful life and get the help that they need. And, um, you know, if there's some perpetrators, put them behind bars so they can't do it again. But the Children's Justice Center is something that we at Fox 13 have been involved with. You've seen Big Buddha do uh, promo spots for them. So mm -hmm. I think they're a, a great charitable organization. So it's the Friends of the Salt Lake County Children's Justice Center. Excellent. Well, we look forward to, uh, to donating to them. And thank you so much for, for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Bobby, thank you. In the arena with Bobby. I love it. <laughs> Way to go, man. All right. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And if you're watching or listening on YouTube, please make sure you hit that bell button so you get notified every time a new episode drops. Thanks.